to another episode of Sunday Mornings with a Cup of Joe. I'm your host, Joe. In today's episode, we got my homegirl, Holly Hawkins, a.k.a. Shorty 5-2 from the Blue Magic Podcast in the building. What's up with it? Hey. What's what's going on with you today, Shorty 5-2? <laughs> nothing much, nothing much. Just chilling? Just chilling. Holly is one of my close friends. We've been friends for over 10 years. <laughs> it's been a long time. We've been friends for how it's been. It's over ten. Yeah, it's over ten years, huh? Yeah. We... I met you. I met you in oh five. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. 05. <laughs> yeah. We've been friends for a long time. Me and Holly met um, on a campus at Langston University, where mm-hmm. most of my guests and friends come from. Successful black graduates of HBCU. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Holly. You're from Texas. I'm from Dallas, Texas, born and raised. D-Town. Um, D-Town. Uh, born and raised. Uh, after that, graduated from high school, went to college, started off at Xavier University of Louisiana as a biology pre-med major. And then from there, I transferred to Langston and graduated with a bachelor's of science in health administration. So how long did you go to Xavier for? For a year. How was and it? A half. It was great. That was my dream school. But, you know, you make decisions. Life happens. I had my son, and um, I, even though I had a child, I said I was going to finish college, and I was going to go to school. So that's what I did. So how did this, the, the, the miraculous question of all time, how did you end up at LU? Actually, one of my church members, him and his wife graduated from Langston University, and he told me that they had housing for students with children and they had a daycare on campus and that if I was ready to go back to school that I should apply. So I did. I got in and Hey Langston recruit game is strong. (laughs) Like they recruit game is strong. Like I don't even I don't even know if it's a school out there that recruit (laughs) recruit like our school. Like our we definitely cause I got there through somebody. Like everybody I know got there through somebody. I don't know too many people that just woke up like like let me go check out this and go here. Like yeah, everybody. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good process though. The uh, the pass down the knowledge process and stuff. So, <clears throat> so you grew up in Dallas, Texas. Yep. Tell us that. So I've been down to Dallas a few. Uh, I'm about to say a few times, numerous of times. I lived down mm-hmm. there for many mm-hmm. summers. So tell us some of the things about Dallas. What makes Dallas so special? Because from my experience in Dallas, the uh, the music scene and the nightlife scene mm-hmm. is definitely a plus. Um, I would say the music scene and nightlife scene is a plus. But growing up in Dallas, if you had parents that wanted to expose you to the Black Dallas theater, plays, the arts world, it's definitely something that is big in Dallas, the arts scene. So when you was younger, did did your parents uh, expose you to? Yes, I was. I've been going to like the Dallas Black Dance Theater since I was like seven, eight years old. Um, Going to see the plays, going to um, the theater, 
going to uh, the symphony and, you know, seeing things like that, uh, going to the, uh, the African-American museum that they have in downtown Dallas in the Fair Park area. So would you say you grew up in an intellectual home? Yes. Both my parents graduated from college. Uh, they've been married in February. It'll be 39 years of marriage. Whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa. Congratulations yeah. for that. That's a big step. Yeah. So, yeah. so do your brothers and sister also go to college? Yes. My sister graduated from Prairie View A&M University in 2009. Hold on one second. Yes. Um, my, my baby sister graduated from Prairie View A&M to, in 2009. And then um, my older sister, Kim, she graduated from college as well. And that's it. So would you say that your family, uh, one, some of the, uh, one of your core values of your family was education growing up? Yes. Yes. So did your, did your parents being educated, did that play a part in your decision to go to college? Yes. So they used to have this show on, they used to air it. It was Miss, Miss, uh, I think it was like Miss HBCU or Miss Black College or something. And um, it was a pageant. It was back in 2000, I mean, back in 1990, 91, something like that. And each, they had a representative from every school. They had Miss Spellman, they had Miss Howard, Miss all these different schools and the women would go up to the mic and they would say their name and they would say what school they represent and they would say what major they were. And they were all gorgeous, all different colors and hues of melatonin on the TV screen. And my sister and I used to get up on the fireplace and pretend that we were those girls. We would pretend that we were those women. And we would say, my name is Miss Holly Hawkins representing blah, blah, blah university, you know? And my sister and I, from that moment, we knew we were going to go to HBCU. We knew we were going to go to college. What? See, that's something That's something different. Because a lot of times we hear people's dreams of when they were younger, and it's always something other than going to an HBCU. A lot of times mm-hmm. it's, a lot of going, it's a lot of going to Ivy League schools that's predominantly white. And, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, you don't get that that much. So when you were younger, what are some of the – what are some of the dreams you had when you were younger? Um, <clears throat> number one, I wanted to go to Spelman. And then at Spelman, I wanted to become, I always said I wanted to be a pediatrician. So it was always, a, or a nurse. So I always told people that I wanted to go to Spelman University. I used to say that at 10 years old, I'm going to Spelman University and I'm going to be a doctor or a nurse. Oh, <laughs> Little Felicia for a shot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Little Claire Huxley, like yeah. That's yes. It. No, so, yes. so when you got when you graduated high school, mm-hmm. were people in your high school was everybody set on college? Like, how was uh, the climate? People, yeah, everybody, everybody, a lot of people were, but everybody was either going to go to TWU or they were going to go to UNT, and that's because when I was twelve years old, after I was done with sixth grade. We moved to the suburbs. We moved to Little Elm, Texas, which is near Denton, Texas. And at that time, Little Elm was so small that we could go to Denton schools. So I had to go to Denton Ryan High School. And being that was in the suburbs, they had no literature. None of the counselors had no literature on any HBCU. 
Mm. I think the only one they had was Prairie View, and it was very, it was minimal. It wasn't a lot of information. Yeah, I know Prairie View. That's so, a that's a go to college for people in that area. Yes. Yes. So, um, I told my counselor, "You don't have any of the schools that I want to look at." So I brought in my own information on Xavier, on Howard University, and I forgot the other school that I was interested in at the time. And I told her I was going to one of these three schools. How many did you fill out, or how many schools did you originally fill out for? Compared to like how many four, schools you got accepted for? Four. I got a. I got. I, I applied to four and I got into three. Okay. So, moving away from home, how big of that was a decision? When it was huge, I wanted to grow. I mean, me being a parent myself, I realized that <clears throat> my parents did the best they could do, um, and my dad being the fact that. You know, he went to college, he graduated, and he and he was in his retired Marine, a former Marine. He um he was just real strict on me. Uh and I'm the oldest, so of my parents. So, you know, I was just it was just really strict for me. And so I wanted to go to I got accepted to Xavier. I wanted to get away from I wanted Texas. to go cut up. <laughs> he wanted to go I be managed. <laughs> I I did because um I didn't get all the I didn't get attention and stuff like that in high school not like that oh okay. like I didn't even have I only had one boyfriend and that was because I knew that because he knew our family and we went to the same church other than that I didn't do all that I didn't go to parties I didn't I didn't have all that no and I wasn't one of the girls that was getting a bunch of attention so when you go into a, a city that loves black women and all of that your eyes kind of get wide open and then after that you kind of have to learn how, how to, deal to with that. learn how to deal with all the attention the yeah, newly found attention. attention newfound attention stay focused on the goal at hand and stuff like that so when you got to langston university what was mm -hmm. your first thoughts of the university that it was small and it was middle of nowhere and then <laughs> that's everybody general i remember when i first was coming here i was like where is this at what is going on here? I was like, I, I was like, what? in the middle of nowhere. Remind you, Xavier's in New Orleans. It's right there in downtown. That's I mean, a big change. New Orleans. That's a big change. <laughs> you go from that to the country, and then, and my dad moved me in to my apartment in the Commons, and he was like, Holly, all you can do is be focused out here. And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you originally, um. When you originally started Langston University, did you mm -hmm. already know what you wanted your major to be since you were already coming for a one-year university? Did it change how? No, my, my major stayed in the healthcare field. It was health administration. I had already done my research prior to, so they, they already had all that information that I was going to do that. So, yeah. So how long, how long have it, how long, when did you first come up with that you wanted to be in the healthcare field? When I was in middle school. So you was already? School, elementary school. Like, I always said I was going to be a nurse or something like that. Mm -hmm. So when you first got to Langston, Langston is it's not a school known for partying per se, but it's mm -hmm. known to be a school of different, a diverse community. Yes. A different uh, characters uh, that span a different spectrum uh, across the board. How different was Langston compared to 
like not the surroundings, but how different was Langston's student life compared to coming from Xavier? Like, was it more Xavier, serious or were more relaxed or? Xavier, Xavier had a lot of students where are the parents came from, uh, some type of money. Okay. So, or you have people that went to Xavier, their well, their parents went to Xavier, or their dad or mom went to Xavier. You had a lot of those. Is it like expensive? Their parents were adopted. Yeah, it's, it's private. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh mm-hmm. that answers it off for all the listeners. Yep, that, <laughs> private university. Mm-hmm. Big Bank Holly. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so it was a, it's a private university, and so therefore, yeah, it's a different, you're going to attract a different type of people. But with Langston, I will say this, Langston made me more relatable. Langston helped me with that. Langston helped me with not judging a book by its cover. Langston helped me as far as um, learning how to get along with all type of black people from all different walks of life. So speaking of that, so uh, a lot of people don't understand what would you mean by that, by you being black? Oh, really? Yeah, okay. because some, because so a lot of people, they might be like, you know, how did you have a hard time interacting with other blacks when you black? Because they think all blacks might, no. <laughs> we all yeah. might come from no. the same some somewhat of something where we are just and generally connect and you know what I'm saying feed off the same thing but um yeah can you uh, more elaborate on okay I will growing up in Dallas um I was never the black girl that had black friends for a while because of how I grew up and how my mother taught me like you know that whole you talk white, you're trying to be white because you want to be smart and you want to sit in the front of the classroom. Um, you want to be involved and you want to do these things. You're being, you're, you're doing, you know, you're being something that is not cool. So I had that already stigma from my experience. Did you feel like that personally? Did you feel like that? Like personally, did you feel like you had a disconnect from people from that or did you feel like you had a disconnect for per se black culture or no, I didn't have a disconnect from black culture. I was very aware and I knew I dealt with my own issues with racism before. Yeah. That's not the problem, but it, but it was, what's jacked up is somebody else who is supposed to be your sister and your brother. And they look at you from the outside and they think that you wouldn't know, or you don't know based or you on have an experience based on how you carry yourself or maybe your, where you're speaking or your intellectual yes. level or maybe yes. they yes. see yes. And that, that's something in our community I, I wish we would do away with because it hold a lot of us down because a lot yeah. of us is impressionable and a lot of us is like hanging on the factor that a lot of people period hangs on the factor of being accepted correct you know what I'm saying and when you shun people or when you shame people for being smart you know like i heard you know it's been plenty of times even on y'all podcast you talked about this before uh when we were younger and people being like oh you too smart what you a book smarty already a, you a nerd mm-hmm. or you know what i'm saying and it's like absolutely that gang so much of a bad stigma like it it is some people that so how did how did you not let it affect you from not like you know because you know some it did people affect, well i will say this from the time i was I want to say seven till about 14. It bothered me, but I kept it moving. I just, 
I just I just kept being involved in stuff. I kept doing things. You what know? Ga- what gave know. you that push to keep going? Because like a lot of people because find I that- wanted to. Cont- well, I liked. Uh, well, one thing was I liked making my parents proud. I thought that just seeing how happy they were to see me do things and do good things and be involved in different um, activities and them come up to the school and they see my name on everything. That made me feel good. So I'm going to continually do that, whether do you, y'all like it or not. Do you think I mean, that's... I, got, I mean, I only had, I've only in my whole life, I think I've been in like maybe three fights. And one of the fights that I remember the most was when I was in elementary school, I was in fourth grade. And these two girls, they were one, they both, they were cousins. They didn't like me. They used to pick on me all the time. Now, mind you, I fought one of them and I didn't get in trouble because they said I was defending myself, blah, 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 blah. And I ran into that girl, no lie, this year around, I would say, September or August, when my sister and I went out to dinner and then we went to DG's because we know the bartender up there. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Holly Hawkins. And I looked at her and I didn't even recognize her. And she was like, uh, how are you doing? Oh, my gosh, I haven't seen you since elementary school. Now, mind you, this is a girl that did not like me. She said, Holly's my friend. I was like, we weren't friends. <laughs> and uh, my sister was like, she just wanted to be your friend. She she wanted to be you, Holly. And she was like, you used to have the longest hair and this and that. And the fifth, like, everything she remembered about me was nothing but positive stuff. That's a, that it happens like that a lot. Right. So that goes back to now looking at it from an adult's uh, point of view, it's like, okay, I get it. So a lot of kids, instead of them trying to figure out how to be like them or learn what they know or whatever, instead they decide to pick on them or whatever. So how, so do you think, okay, let me want to touch on something real quick. Do you think that's a loss connect that, um, that we don't have no more if within the black family is that, the uh, kids going after making their parents proud. Yes. Because, like, I don't see that that much. Like, you know, a lot of... I see parents forcing their kid kind of into the situation more than Mm -hmm. they is in genuinely instilling the kids Mm -hmm. that thing. Because that's one thing I practice with my sons is try to genuinely instill in them that you make daddy proud. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I let them know that. I tell them all the time. I'm like, yeah, you know I'm proud of you, right? Like, Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I think you're the coolest, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I always tell mm-hmm. them that all the time because that's something that I don't really see. I see a lot of parents going above and beyond for their kids, but I think a lot of times it goes over the kid's head. You know how when they yeah. say, oh, a lot of parents doing stuff just for other parents? Mm-hmm. I think that's what's, I think that has all, has consumed our whole situation so much, like that everything that you, that I think that parents do nowadays is strictly for people to judge it and not really for the kids' best interest. I agree. Because a lot of people, they won't make one of those sacrifices that look crazy to other people for the best interest of their kids. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot mm-hmm. of times these um, extravagant birthday parties, these extravagant yes. Christmas stuff is not needed yes. for no. your kid to be successful. But a lot of these parents push these holidays and stuff on our kids. And it's like, how, when you pushing gift giving mm-hmm. all the time, how do you expect your kid to be when they grow up looking for gifts and handouts? Correct. Like, I mean, you know, it's just a part of life about a part of teaching and stuff. Um, I was just wondering that because I don't see that that much. 
You know what I'm saying? Right. I see more of parents mimic turning their kids to mimic they self. Well, yeah, like they looks kind of they looks and right the looks. Some people be doing it for the for the social media purposes to brag about look what we did or look at the gifts they have or all that kind of stuff. It's all about self. It's not really about the child. It's more about the parent. So I agree. So back to this college thing. You're yes. you're in a sorority. Yes. I am a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. AKA is in the building. And I remember around the time when you crossed and everything, you know what I'm saying? It was a very yes. joyous moment. You know what I'm saying? Yes. 2007, was, to be exact. It was a lot of stepping, a lot of clapping. You feel yeah. me? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, tell me, um, was that something you always wanted to get into? Yeah. And uh, did you know anybody in your family that already was in a sorority, like your mom or anything? Um, My mom is not in sorority, but my dad is a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Happy Founders Day to the bros. Okay. Um. So I definitely, yeah. So, yeah. So I knew about Greek life early because of my father. Oh, okay. So because he was baby. Alpha, Alpha Phi Alpha. He mm-hmm. was like way molding you into a little, a little baby princess. That's what he was. Yes. Like. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. 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 I mean, I've, I mean, I've always seen, I've always seen his the paraphernalia. I saw the his uh, certificate and everything growing so, up. So tell me something. <laughs> tell me something that you learned on your own that you really didn't know about sororities in your early stages of getting in, involved in it? Well, the first thing I did, and a lot of a lot of women, young ladies, some do this, some don't. Um, when my father told me about, you know, when I asked him about his fraternity, because I wanted to know what that is, he was telling me about Alpha Kappa Alpha and some of the members that they had that were uh, famous that I knew, you know. And so then from there, you know, the internet had really kind of just started really booming, you know, in high school. And so I went online and I started doing research. I started finding out information about Alpha Kappa Alpha and what does it stand for and and the founders and, you know, what school, you know, where all this started and everything, you know. And once I did all that research, I knew then that that was a sorority that I definitely could be a member and definitely um, put some impact into and, and what, the sorority. What what a lot what uh when you first got on campus, what about the sorority? Like what about that particular sorority? What about your sorority? What piqued your interest? What was one? Give me one thing that you was like. Oh, well, the one thing I liked about the um about the Alpha Zeta chapter at Langston University when I stepped on the campus was I liked the fact that the Alpha Zeta chapter was a smaller chapter. I like the fact that they were chartered in 1939, which makes them a much older, you know, chapter. Okay. So that was the stuff that that made... The legacy of the actual chapter. The... Yes, and the fact that they're the mother chapter of Oklahoma. Okay, yeah, because when I was down there on campus, I would see the AKAs, and they were very professional. Yes. They were very professional women. They're very mm-hmm. uh So let me ask you a question. Uh and you know, this is just because I don't know, you know, so I have to ask, but so uh-huh. is that like is healthcare or the health field, is that like a premise basis for 
you to be an AKA or do you? Do no, they, they have a lot of teachers. Oh, okay, that's right. That's right. Okay, you are right. You are right. Yeah, I was just thinking because first thing I thought about was a first thing I thought about was a doctor. Yeah, first thing I thought about was a doctor. That's the first thing I thought about was doctor. I was like, oh, hmm. Oh no, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, uh, they have a lot of a lot of um, teachers, a lot of people in healthcare, a lot of um, uh, teachers, healthcare, uh, politicians, people like that. I mean, it's just. It's a it's a conglomerate of different women, entrepreneurs, just different women. So, so uh, I know each organization had a core values or their core mm-hmm. principles. What what are you guys like? What what is some that you guys offer like a your social? We believe purpose? in community. We believe in community. We believe in education. We believe in service to all mankind. Um, we believe in the community and putting back in the community through through service and through education. How have how have this circle of friends and this organization helped you become as successful in your life um, personally? I would say I would say this. Like personally, um, like yeah, personally, being in a sorority, I have one of the um, one of my line sisters is not only is she a soror and a sister, she's also my best friend and she's my son's um, godmother, uh, and she's a nurse and. Um, and she's doing big things um, as well. But I have learned through being a part of a sorority, and this is my overall take, I've learned how to communicate better. I've learned how to understand different point of views and respectfully agree or disagree on those point of views. Um, also allowing people to show you a different way of doing things, being open to that kind of things, learning how to work together and for, the, for whatever the mission is and to get things done. Um, those are some of the things that I've learned that's helped me and helped me become better at, at doing those things. So what about, um, so what would you say about the, what are like some of the misperceptions of black sororities? The, uh, maybe people, people that never understand, you know, saying it's a gang, it's not a gang. Um, uh, some people say, you know, that people are doing it because they want to, you know, for the uh, for the stepping, for the strolling, for the colors, and and and, and that and that's not true. So um, sometimes in life you cannot. Uh, for me, being a single mom of three, there are times and periods in my life that I have not been as active as I want to, and then I'll go back and be active for a little while and have to step out of it because of juggling so much different things in my life. So you know. One of the things that I hope is as my children get older, I'm going to get back to being more active again. Okay. So I, and I really can't wait for that day because it's just, it's exciting. Who see sororities on TV or something who's like interested maybe, or maybe a girl in 12th grade senior year. Uh-huh. Um, first things first, I would tell any girl going into college before we even think about sorority, let's focus on the grades and let's get, let's fun, make sure your freshman and sophomore year are stellar, especially your freshman year. It's, are there, uh, are there guidelines to joining? Like, do... yeah, you have to have a certain GPA and a certain number of credit hours too. So you can't be like fresh in a freshman, bad grades no. and no. get in there thinking that you about no. to get into a party. No. 
Right. And my advice for people too is that know that if you trying to join a fraternity or sorority just for like the party stuff, uh, that's that's weird. Like, cause it costs. So why would you? <laughs> that's weird. I like that's <laughs> for you not to be reaping the benefits of it when it comes to educational wise and social wise. Right. It's a waste of time. So you should very think about it very closely and research them. And it's a commitment. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. Like people need to realize it's a commitment and there's work to be done. So if you're ready to work and you're ready to do an impact overall, then yes. See a lot but of people. I would, and I, I would and I would tell right but I would tell people all the time, don't even worry about the sorority fraternity part until after you get those grades where they need to be and things like that and then see if that might be for you. And also another thing is when you get to a college campus that chapter might not be about their business and you might might want to be associated with that chapter. So then, you know, you might decide to wait after you're done with school then go grad, you know, or something like that. So that option's always there as well. A lot of different options. Because you don't want to get caught up in no foolishness. That's what I'm saying. Definitely don't. Definitely don't. You definitely want to use it to your benefit. You want to make sure mm-hmm. that it's promoting all positivity and good stuff in your life. You want to make sure it fits right. in. Right, so you're the right. Correct. So it can help build you as a person because that's the thing. It's not supposed to take away from you as a person. It's supposed to build, no. add to yeah. your person, yeah, and add yep. to your character. So yep. uh, let me ask you a question. So getting into around the time of graduation, mm-hmm. I know nervousness sets in, uh, anxiety sets in about the anticipation of. Mm-hmm going to the next stage and the next level called uh, adulthood yeah <laughs> what what are some of the things um what are some of the struggles that you went through on in your last year of transit you know what i'm saying and getting ready to transition I out to, I, well, I, I, for me is um uh, the job part was already sewn up for me it was more of the lines of now, how did you go about that? How did you go about that so early? Well, I am. Um, was it an intern so I, thing? Huh, uh, yeah, it was an intern. I had an internship with the Department of Veterans Affairs Medical Center, and I ended up getting in the program called the Student Experience Career Program. At the time, it was called SEEP, and I got into that program, and then from there, they paid me. They pay, It was a paid internship. And after I completed so many hours, you get placed into a position. You don't have to compete for it. You get the position. You're, you got a job. How, so how important would you say internships are for your college career? I feel like they're very vital. And, you know, you want to have an intern where or internship with a company that's going to want to retain you after you're done. Sometimes those are hard to find, but they're out there. So was it... Uh... Did you, so when you graduated, you moved, right? Do your job is in Dallas? Yes. My job was in Oklahoma City, VA. Oh, so oh, you moved from the school to Oklahoma City first? Yes. yes. Oh, okay, okay. And how? And I, was with, I was with the Oklahoma City, VA from 2008 to 20, uh-uh, 20, 2012. So was your first job out of college, how was it compared to how you thought it was going to be? Like, you know, total opposite, not the same, <laughs> nowhere near what I thought I was going to be doing. 
Um, I had to find love in what I was doing. And once I found love and I was doing, that's when I started really like getting great ratings, uh, getting them bonuses, um, moving on to the next thing. And so it took me a while to get my next position, which was still with the VA, but it was in Office of Information Technology. And that's how I got back to Dallas. And then I had that position for three years. And then I transferred from there to another position in contracting for the VA. And then now I am a contract specialist. So Because, because mm-hmm. you just got a new promotion in the last few months. Am I right? Yeah, I'm a contract specialist. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. So what do you actually do? I mean, can you disclose it or is it like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you. Contract specialists, basically, they are the, they are the li- liaison between the company that is doing whatever we need them to do for the VA and the VA. Oh, okay. So we're the ones that make sure that things are in regulation, that they are following behind um, all the regulations, all the memorandums, all of those different policies that make sure things are being conducted correctly and ethically, make sure that they're ethical. Okay. Look at you. So since you graduated college financially, how was the college ride? in hindsight now that you look at it um was it too expensive was it worth it was it you know what could there's have been, been times well there's been times where i used to say it was too expensive and that was because i wasn't financially where i wanted to be personally but it's a it's definitely um it's a journey and people have to realize that once they get out of school, it's a journey. Financially, it's a journey. Uh, life is a journey. So, you know, you just your personal life is going to take some 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 getting used to as well. A lot so, of people like to a- not college because of the debt that you might be in due to student mm-hmm. loans. Or some people mm-hmm. might not, they might not college because and they might uh down college because they might be like oh well i can be this rich without it or you know what i'm saying i can be successful without it you don't even have to have a gd to be successful and this and that and i I often like to remind especially the younger listeners and people around me i always tell them like college is often a, more about the experience as well as it is about the educational part well because okay put it like this well, you let's use let's use one celebrity. We're gonna use one celebrity that used his college experience and his college networking to his benefit. And the person that comes in my brain, and oh, and and um, and I'm still praying for him and his family. But um, Puff Daddy, yeah, Tom Combs. I mean, he at one point was going to New York to D.C. on and hiding on a bus to get on there for free so he could ride to go back to school. But because of his connections, that made Howard, you know, he uses connections at Howard University to put on new artists and things like that because he went to school. He, I think he also learned about more, like he probably brushed up and made and his soft skills improved just from going to a couple of communication classes at Howard. Um, but you have to have the, you have to have a personal drive and a goal that you have in mind when you go to school to me. See, a lot of people, they don't understand. Uh, they don't understand the world of resources that a college offers you. 
Correct. Because I, when I was at school, I didn't know what I was even dare doing in the first two years. I was just chilling. There. <laughs> I, I was there. going to class. I didn't know what I was doing. I was chilling. I was letting the counselors pick my classes. I was like not going to like none of the resources. No, no center for nothing. I ain't going into it. Not a tutor. I'm not doing nothing. I'm going straight to class, home, party, home, class, trap, home, class, party. Like, all in the circle. I'm not doing none of that until I ran into people like you that also express the value of soaking in what's around you and knowing mm -hmm. how to take advantage of opportunities uh, that's put in front of you. Uh, a lot of times being on a college campus, what I learned is that you meet so many people. Mm hmm you get to interact with so many people with so many different ideas than you have. It's always possible to formulate a brand new idea. A brand new idea. Yeah. With being on the actual campus. So that was like a a big thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was like a big yeah. thing. So um, speaking about black women, college education, what do you think about the perception of black women in America now? Okay, so the new perception of black women in America to me now is, yes, we are still, um, to a certain degree, we're still sexualized. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's been so many educated black women behind the scenes in um, programming on TV. Ava DuVay, um, Shonda Rhimes. Uh, they're writing and making new stories and things. And so now there's a new uh, look on the depth of black women and the things that we go through and our stories. Hmm. Um, and, and I have to, you know, to give credit for women like Oprah who have her own network. So therefore those, those shows are being shown and people are seeing them more and more. And then now Netflix, I think got a deal with Shonda and Ava DuVay to do some more shows. So, like I said, our perspective is being shown in different ways, all on TV and in the media. Um, I do, think, do you feel it's improving? I think it's improving. I do. Um, I think we're shown as being uh, smart and, and intelligent a lot. Um, also, they're showing more couples of, you know, black women with other races as well. So Because that's, that is a reality. That is a reality. And I keep telling people when I talk to folks because I watched uh, 12 Years, I think, what was it? The one that was on Netflix that Ava DuVay did, and it was about mass incarceration. Mass incarceration really shook up the black home completely. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Vietnam as well. And so because of that in itself, that's why our, the black family and the black, the black family in the unit is always... Um, a rarity. Um, it's something that has been, you know, that's been sought after as far as destroying. Do you feel and like so, it's a war against the black family? Do you feel like because it's here's a war? the thing: if you had, but it, it is to me, because if you had, if you had hundreds and hundreds of black homes right now in America, majority of them don't have mommy and daddy in them. And most of it is due to incarceration from petty incarceration, drug charges. Drug, drug charges. That's not really violent like offenses for real. Yeah, that's up. what I'm saying. Not violent offenses. Yeah. See, a lot no. of a lot of people don't understand that plays in the perception of women, the perception of black men. 
the question is, and then on top of that, how many black women have talked to a dude that went to jail or did some time that's out now? You know, how many times we run into that? I have. Do you run into that more than you do regular nice black guys? No, it's about 50 50 chance. You know, you know, it's a toss up. See, this, toss-up. this is the thing. Do you think, uh, so do you think it's a lack of low, like, do you think it's a lack of, uh, Gentlemen out here in the black community, do you think we lack in the gentlemen in the black community? Do you think that because you know how everybody want to talk about like, oh, everybody needs to step it up and get it together and do this and that? Do you see that? Do you see it being a need for guys to step up in the black community? Because you're a black woman, I know. Um, you, yeah, and you, I have two black sons, and my thing is this there is a need for black men to step it up and be you know, the pillars of our community and step it up in their household. To me, I feel like there's a lot of men that do it already. However, I don't think people are talking about it if they don't know about it. Um, But then for me, it's like, at my age, I just want, I I personally, for me, I want a black man to be be in my life, you know, but it's hard. It's hard. So do you date, do you date outside your race? No, I had never have. So are you up for it? Are you open to that? Uh, no, there hasn't been a man that's outside of being black that has been attracted to me, so I would not know oh, Okay. what I would do in that situation because I've never been put in that situation. What do you think about black guys that date outside their race? Um, if it's by happenstance, no problem. But I do have a problem with black men that will say that they don't date black women. So that's the thing. I think that I have a problem with that because that means you have a problem with your mama. Yeah, nah. See, the thing is, I think that's where we get confused a lot when we're talking about this topic of interracial dating and stuff. I think people get it confused in like your personal preference and uh, a bottom line. Like I only do. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, that's what I have. I don't have a problem with somebody that has dated black women that's dated all different types of races and he just happens to fall in love with someone that's not his race. That's different. So I, than a black man that has set up, I don't date black women. I don't date them. I don't talk to black women, light skinned black women. I don't talk to any black women because they did it. That's da, 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 da. cheesy. That's cheesy. I don't even like people that think that way about any, all of one people. That's just, that's a cheesy way of thinking. That's a bad thought process. So, so look, okay. This, this is so funny. So personally, so <clears throat> my girlfriend is Filipino. Everybody knows, uh, What's funny is those that out here where I live at in California, it's a lot of uh, interracial dating. It's a lot there of mixed is. dating. And it's a stigma on black guys not dating black women. And so when I came out here, you know, I'm an Oprah opportunity dater. You know, well, when I was single, you know what I'm saying? I was an Oprah opportunity dater and I dated different races. It would be funny how when people like right now, I have a, um, my girl Filipino, like I said, it's funny that... Uh, it's some people that make that claim on me like, oh, what, you don't like black women? Or like, you know what I'm saying? That's or or even I, I have heard of people telling other people like, oh, yeah, you know Joe don't like black women. And I'll be like, what happened? <laughs> I'm like, what happened? Because since I knew myself, I was like from Detroit, grew around all black. I, my life been like Good Times, the movie. <laughs> Like two two seven Jefferson's the remix yeah. movie, like so I don't yeah. un- I don't understand how people get that, but it's 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 shameful how that's people go to 
You know what I'm saying? Like, that shouldn't be your go-to. Like, you should yeah. date whoever make you happy. True enough, like, uh, see, and I have a different point of view about interracial dating, even though I'm in an interracial relationship. Because I'm in an interracial relationship because my girl just so happened to be my type. I didn't, mm-hmm. like, she could have been an alien. I don't care. Like, she was just my type, so I was with her. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. it's... um. I myself, I think that the black home is actually needed, but more black couples are actually needed. Not because non-black couples is a bad thing. It's just because of how low on the spectrum black families have got. You know what I'm saying? Like black whole families needs to be had for our our culture and race to. Well, I would say, you know, I, I, I'm not not to mean to interrupt you, no. but I feel like black couples and black couples are under attack because a lot of a lot of black couples do not have the resources to understand the the um the things about relationships and um the up the ups the downs the lows the good times everything that goes into a relationship and marriage um there's a show called black love they've had two seasons and it's on own and they have couples that have been married for a year Two couples that've been married for over forty years, and <clears throat> I watched. I've watched all the se- like both seasons, and I love it because they even show couples who have gotten divorced, and this is their second time around, um, in their second marriage. Um, it's just different things that go with that. You Do know? you believe but, that you could have a white guy as a husband, and he would be able to? adequately raise your kids too see that this is where this is where my afrocentricness and my wokeness (laughs) and all that plays a part in that and it makes it hard now because here's the thing i personally i love my daddy i'm a daddy's girl i act like my father i can't help it and because the love that i have for my father and growing up and having a and having a wonderful um african-american father that has taught me so much um and taught me about love and taught me about so many different things it would be hard for me to want to entertain or date someone that was you know a white man it would be it would be hard but but at the same time if it was meant for that to be then i would see his spirit a whole lot before i would see his color of his skin like a fit, like on, uh, like uh, like on Scandal. Would you date yeah. like? Would you date like a white guy like Fitz? Like how you doing, Holly? Like how you doing, Holly? <laughs> like hey, I love your family. Anything <laughs> like, is possible. Do you want to go to the Erica possible. Badu concert? Like Shush. anything is possible. Anything is possible. Anything is possible now because some people they all some people might find it weird. They be like, "Well, how are you in an interracial relationship, but you promoting black families?" It's like I feel like you can promote black families also in an interracial relationship. Also, mm-hmm. I believe that combining races like and learning about each other cultures can promote the black race more. You know what I'm saying? It can strengthen mm-hmm. our re- relationships with different races because a lot of times. The racial divide come from the miseducation. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people no, miseducated just, about black culture, black lifestyles, and everything. And I think people are. People I think are people are scared. Some people, don't want, 
some people don't want to be called African Americans. Some people want to be called um, something else. You know, some people want don't want to be called black. They want to be called something else. We are constantly always searching for our for our for our culture because at, at the end of the day, when you look at uh, history, our culture was snatched from us. So that's where that is. So raising so you got two sons and a girl, right? Yeah, my daughter. Mm-hmm. So tell us what is the difference of the fears that you have raising boys and girls black in this my America. fear my fear period for my boys is being misunderstood being misunderstood being misunderstood and being misrepresented for instance you know if they were to get pulled over, you know, the cops sees that he's a young black man. They don't know anything about his background. They don't know anything about him, but they're already making assumptions just about who, what he looks like and, and, and the fact that he's a black man. Do that scare you that people are yeah, that it afraid? Does. Yeah, it does scare me. See, I was talking and like when I talked to, uh... it does make me uncomfortable because, but you have to just, I have faith and I, you know, teach my sons everything that they need to know. But what, what scares me the most is it's really not my oldest. It's more of my middle son because he has autism. So there are days where he has meltdowns. He cries. He acts violent. He does things. And, you know, there could be a day where a cop messed with him and they don't understand that he has a medical issue. And he could be, de- you know, he could get hurt. Mm-hmm. For real. So how do you How do you, like, plan, though, how do you plan as a parent to, like, protect him from those situations by... Like, what are some of the stuff that you instill in them, or what are some of the stuff that you teach There's them? There's things that I instill in um, Isaiah, which he has down. My oldest, who's 15, he knows about 10 and 2. He knows about saying yes, sir, no, sir. He knows about keeping it polite, things like that, not making any sudden moves. You know, the, the you know the regular information that you would tell your um, teenage uh, African-American son. Um, but when it comes to Emmanuel, it's almost like, I have to keep him close and put him in, uh, put him with people that will protect him. Kind of like guide and his situations and stuff. Guide his he situation. Like I already, he's only, he's only in third grade and I've already, you know, made that decision in my mind that he might be going to us, going to school, you know, at home and won't be going away because he might not be ready for that. It might come later for him. So, you know, things like that. Do you ever think about how uh, homeschooling socially affects kids differently than kids that go to, like, maybe a public school? Yeah, Manny doesn't go to homeschool. He's in public school. Um, But uh, I think all children need to go to school, whether it be private or public, just so they can learn how to interact with other people. Well, other kids and stuff. Yeah. So... You got a 15-year-old son, so is he into the internet? Is he, like, yeah. on social he has, medias? He has an Instagram, and that's it. He does not have a Facebook. He said Facebook is for old people. So do you have the code? Are you double-watching? Yeah. Are you? Oh, yeah. I follow him. He follows me back. I watch him all on Instagram. Sometimes I go into, Sometimes I say, give me your phone, and I look through stuff, make sure we're good. Have you had any incidents with any inappropriate teenage stuff with your son? Uh, like, over the past couple of years, no, but like caught him watching, you know, the risque movies on the internet, and I had to block all that. How did he feel about that? 
Well, for one, I was glad that he was looking at girls, but then another thing it was it was just like this is too much. So do, so that's that's a good question. So do you feel that it's a overly pressing presence of homosexuality on the media? Like on TV and stuff. Like do you think it's like overly Avertly getting put out there, like you know what I'm saying, like because it's I, out there, but I, 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 it all depends on what what you keep on your TV. Or it, does it depend on what you teach your kids? It depends on what you teach your kids. Can you? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. America has gotten when it comes to raising children. Sometimes I feel like some people have gotten lazy. Now, I wouldn't say America. Let me just say some people, because everything that you teach your children, it should start at home. Even from reading ABCs, one, two, threes, everything should be starting at home. The first teacher they have is their mom or their dad or both. We are educators. Parents are educators. You're supposed to be educa- educating your children. So do you? You cannot, f- you cannot solely base it off of a, you cannot let society nor uh, wait on some teachers. Because they they're there to teach your kids, but they're not they're not the jump starters. We are the parents are the jump starters. So lead by example. Yes. So how so how is it so how do you manage being a woman on the social media, being a mom? Does that ever cause a um, like a little struggle, being a mom yeah, and I, also I, being? I think I think I think twice about what I post. Yeah. So, how how is your how is the perception? Let's talk about the perception of women on social media. It's because you know uh, a lot of times women talk about the double standard in life, like you know guys can do this, but what about the women? You know what I'm saying? But can't women do it like guys and this and that? Uh, one thing I noticed on social media is like, what is the difference? Like, okay, so you know, like a thirst trap, right? So you know, chicks that's posting like risque pictures and videos yes. and stuff, right? But then you got the women that call themselves body positive. Mm-hmm. You know, the women who's flaunting their body with the perception of loving themselves or self-love. Mm-hmm. When does that line get blurry? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I feel like it gets blurry when the picture is clearly... Clearly for the little Kim pose, you know what I mean? From hardcore, you know, if if we're doing that, then that's not about self-love. That's about attention, period. And there's, and, it's, and then that's the thing that this, the 90 babies, they all about that attention. They want it. Don't, we, I mean, it's don't, every, but ain't attention, don't everybody want attention? But it's like, but they don't have a, they don't have a cutoff point. See, I think generationally it's different for me. Like we wanted attention, but again, we did not have social media we did not have social media at all until I got to college, really. Oh, uh, yeah, for real. Oh, four. I mean, oh, well, 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 we had MySpace. I mean, that was in high. That was towards the end of high school, beginning of college. I'm telling you, like, we did not. Our 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 sinking attention is kind of like on some happenstance type stuff. But most of the '90 babies are intentionally making sure that they're seen, and they don't care if it's good or bad. And they will go to the limits. They would go past the regular at, limit, right? So look, look at six nine, and that's it's crazy. Still in freaking prison right now, and I don't think he's so, going to get now. And that was all behind attention. And it's something. And speaking of six nine, it's something that, and I've never really spoke about this on the show. I don't think so. 
the thing about 6ix9ine is somebody put me on 6ix9ine. Somebody from overseas. So I got a friend mm-hmm. overseas. So I saw my friend Tone. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Tone Capone from the lower side. You feel me? Over there in the UK. They get it popping. <laughs> but uh, my homeboy Tone put me up on 6ix9ine like a couple, like a few years ago. And uh, mm-hmm. it was because of his videos. He used to do songs with rappers from overseas and his videos used to be very artistic videos or whatever and he used to be doing stuff like burning stuff setting stuff on fire doing a whole bunch of uh really creative things you know what i'm saying and his hair wasn't his hair was like lime green and blue or something like that it was a split like a now later but i seen him on the interview and he talked about like how he was a you know a homeless type of kid you know what i'm saying and how he wanted to he talked about, like, oh, I don't wear designer because I didn't grow up with that. And he was like, I, I, kids came to afford that for real. You know what I'm saying? He was talking a, a way different talk. When I seen that interview, I was like, oh, man. I was like, I keep my eye open for this kid. He should, he could be one of the ones that reach out to the other kids. But then, <laughs> out the blue, I seen him just show up, blooding it up with, with some New York buzz that I actually know. You feel mm-hmm. me for the most part, some OG New York bloods, and it kind of, kind of struck me as odd that yep. he was with them. But yeah, that's crazy though. And I always would notice that uh, those trolling tactics and stuff he was doing, interacting with real people though, with people that ain't playing. Like you trolling with Jay Prince and them, them people not playing like that. Like you trolling with people that's like ready and got people that lay everything on the line for respect. And you yeah, they play. will. So when I seen that, I was like, oh, okay, well, money is that important? Like, mm-hmm. when does this and and that's another thing. Like, <clears throat> you know how everybody be like, oh, the internet is not real, you know? And they be like, oh, uh, don't confuse the internet with real life. But I have a question. Like, when does the fake reality, the false reality of the internet, when does it does it is it a chance that it has became reality for some people? I think it is reality for some people because there is no there is no line from social media and all that stuff to real life. Because when you think about it, hey, people are making money on social media. People are doing ads on social media, yeah. and they're getting checks. Like, no. So if you it, can, so if life. so, when people say like, oh, oh, you think followers make you popping, but then you can be like, nah, it don't. I got friends in real life, but when you think about it, followers do make you popping because you poppin'. it can Correct. introduce a new, it can introduce a new form of uh, money. You yep. know what I'm saying? You can monetize yourself, get jobs off having followers, off people. Yep. The blue yep. check is really important. Like the blue check is really important. Verified. No, no matter how much people be like, I don't care. Like who cares? If you got the blue check, it really would up your status. Like it do it up, up your status. It do not. Mm-hmm. This the thing though. How bad is that for your reality? You know what I'm saying? Like for the the world that you live in, how bad is that when a false narrative is becoming the real? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it. Like when you, when you think about when you think about what's your reality, right? And mm-hmm. you think about what's fake to you. How scary is it thinking about that's real to somebody and they live and breathe it? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, those photos, those likes, for like, a a bad day on Instagram will cause somebody to for real have a bad day in real life. In real life and want to end it all and go into mass, 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 uh, what is it? Mass, 
depression for real and want to kill themselves and this is why but this is why there's so many drugs out here on top of that there's a sea of drugs a sea of pills for everything if you're sad take this one it'll make you feel better if you're if you're sleepy take this one this will put you to sleep if you want to be up for 24 hours or more take that one as well so that that's why and that's why they said that not our like not the 80s babies but they were saying like the 90s babies have a higher rate of suicide I bet you they do. They yeah, they sitting they around taking depressants and antidepressants yeah. in the same Some day. Some of them been on drugs since they were ten. I know. So I do a lot of mentoring. I know. Yeah, 10. I know a lot of young homies. They've been. I talk to them and I be like, "Man, when did you first get off the porch?" And they like, "Bro, I've been smoking weed, doing this shit, lean and shit since I was eight. And I'm like, "Where were you getting it from at eight? What? My my son eight. I if I came in there, my son had some lean. I will, boy." Right. His ass is grass. Right. <laughs> His little ass grass. His ass, the lean man ass, everybody ass going down. Everybody. <laughs> ass going down. everybody. They gonna think John Who's Q. To, they they gonna think it's John Q on the deck. I'm coming out going right. crazy like nigga. Going nuts. For real though, but like it, that's the thing though. I think social media is seeping over into our reality so much it is causing the conflict in what we how we teach our kids and what our kids perceive because you got to think if you're telling your 15 year old like look money ain't nothing it's da 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 you know what i'm saying like don't base everything off money and then he look on instagram and it's like money 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 mm -hmm. every time i was working at a school last year elementary school and one of the kids in the lunchroom was like uh they was like hey mr they was like hey mr joe i'm like what's up he like would you tell her them yeezy she got on is fake and i'm like what are you talking about she did have on the fake Yeezys with the light up on there, but I told the Stop little boy, it. I didn't Stop tell it. him that though. I didn't say, I didn't say it. I said, I was like, let her live. I did. I said, I said, who are you to tell her those are fake? Those look like real Yeezys to me. <laughs> he was like, those don't look like they cost four hundred dollars. I was like, and he was like, that's what my dad said they cost. I was like, well, her parents might have four hundred. Get off her tail like that. But it was crazy though because they were little kids. I'm talking about just like fifth, fourth graders. Fourth graders talking about some Yeezys, fake Yeezys. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? And it's just like the internet has grown to so much a prevalence, like even like Facebook. I don't mm -hmm. think Facebook is never going to be out of our life. No. And the, you know why? It's because my aunties and uncles and every, all these people are on there. My dad's, I had to tell my dad, like, don't my be on there with your shirt there. off. I told my dad, like, let me catch you with your shirt off on there and we going crazy. He's like, no, 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 yeah. email address to even get on facebook people don't know that i remember i, know. The, I, I remember that i was so telling I had, somebody i've had a facebook page since like i think it's like since 2005 i was in a computer lab of uh of the, the journalism building that uh the day i seen facebook i was on myspace and looked around i'm like what is everybody on it was like they was like it's the Facebook. I'm like the Facebook. What is the Facebook? They was like yeah, yeah. you gotta put in this and you could talk to other people at other colleges. And I was so amazed, like holy shit, what is going on? Right, like, that was cool. I liked it when it was like that, but when they opened it up to everybody, I was like, this is gonna be trash. Yeah, I went back home a couple times on break and was like, y'all ain't on Facebook, niggas and hoods. Like the the fuck is Facebook? And then I went back one time. They like uh, hit me on Facebook. I was like, oh man, they didn't open it up. 
It was like the it was like the floodgates has the opened. Floodgates like. have opened. Yeah. So let's talk about this uh, Blue Magic podcast that I'm. Uh, okay. I I think I'm the number one fan too, and I I won an award too. <laughs> I'm so petty. I'm the number one fan. I I listen to it a lot. I love it. But uh, talk to us about the Blue Magic podcast. Uh, okay. So the Blue Blue Magic podcast is a podcast that's all about hip hop, life, culture, and music. Um. It consists of me, Shorty52, uh, J-Rock, and he's the great. And um, we do our podcast. We talk about anything that's going on within the culture that's recent. And we also do anniversary-type um, things with hip-hop. Like uh, last night's podcast was about Jay-Z because his birthday is today. He turned 49. Um, and we talked about our top five, you know, Jay-Z, uh, songs, our first memories of Jay-Z and just, you know, about him, uh, as an artist and the things that he's impacted in hip hop. Um, I love it. It's a great podcast. People need to tune in at the Blue Magic podcast on, uh, Instagram, follow us there. And we're also on, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify as well. So and bluemagic.com, podcast.com, all right. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I listen to y'all podcasts. I like to say I like y'all chemistry. I like the topics. I'm an old 90s hip-hop guy, too, so I love it. Uh, I love the Shorty's Corner. I love everything that's going on with y'all podcast, man. Y'all really keep it focused on y'all specific topic, and I definitely love everything about it. Uh, J-Rock, I've been knowing him since college. Mm-hmm. Jamel been knowing him from college. He's a big... Big hip-hop guy. You know what I'm saying? I trust his hip-hop opinion. It's only two people other than people that's in my crew that I trust their hip-hop opinion. And you are one of the people, and Mel is one of the people. And so that's cool that y'all are doing a podcast together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I've always been a hip-hop head ever since I was younger. And the funny thing is, that's why I say you never judge a book by its cover. People wouldn't know that I love music the way I do unless people talk to me and they're like, dang, you know a bunch of music about music. But yeah, we spent we spent plenty plenty of Jay-Z nights. Yes. Plenty of Jay-Z nights. I talk about long hours of just Jay-Z. And nights, listen, so yeah. and I played well, I played uh the one with him and Beans and you were like, Yeah, what you it, know about that song? It was, was a, like, yeah, we had a lot of musical times. Um yes. so your podcast uh is it's weekly. Yeah, we record Every week on Tuesday nights, um, we skipped a week here and there, and we're trying to wrap, we're trying to wrap it up for the new for so we can take a break for the new year. So yes, yeah. indeed, I definitely like y'all opinions and views. Uh, I'm definitely going to interview. I want all y'all on the show at one time so I can interview all y'all together as the podcast. So I okay. can so I can bring up my gripes about the Tupac, the Little Wayne. Got a lot of stuff, you know what I'm saying? The Dame Dash clout chasing comment you made, you know what I'm saying? I don't care what you think about me and my opinion about Dame. My thing about, and we can talk about Dame real quick. My only issue with Dame is, Dame is educated as hell, okay? He went to really good school. One of the smartest guys in hip-hop. He's super smart. But sometimes, you can be so smart that you're dumb. True. The thing is with Dame is, though, I didn't like how everybody... Ridiculed Dame because Dame was playing with the money, right? He did was, he was playing. He was playing with the money. Don't get him wrong. He was playing with the money, but Dame put a lot of people in positions when he was playing with the money. If he wasn't playing with the money, it probably wouldn't have been State P, uh, the 
the little kicks they had, the ice creams and all. It probably wouldn't be uh, the pro kids and all of that. It probably wouldn't be none of that if Dame wasn't playing with that money. The thing is, people say Dame is a clout chaser and stuff, but when Dame ran down on Lee Daniels and Lee Daniels was in there like, Damon, you're right, Damon. You are right, Damon. And then they interviewed him, and they was like, because Damon said, he like, man, I paid for Lee Daniels to do a movie. He never paid me back. Everybody's like, oh, whatever. You didn't pay Lee Daniels for this and that. He like, oh, I did. And I, Lee Daniels, I really did. And Lee, really Daniels, like, and Lee Daniels got on TV and was like, Dame right. He was like, when nobody gave me a chance, Dame gave me an opportunity to do something. He was like, nobody was messing with me when Dame messed with him. But they don't talk about that part. You know what I'm saying? They don't come back and get Dame his roses and be like, oh, you know something? Okay, listen, let me tell you something. The best thing that ever happened what Dame and his business savviness put Jay-Z, pushed Jay-Z to where he is now, like as far as the notoriety. Heights. Before un- title. Before unimaginable heights. Yes. And then the other guy, because it was it was Dame, Jay-Z, and that other dude that just recently had, they did an interview on Breakfast Club. I forget the guy's name. And the three of them is the reason why they was Rockefeller Records. Now, I the, towards the end of Rockefeller Records, you know when they did when they had Dipset and they had Camera. <laughs> and, that, and, see, and, all of them. and the thing is, that was the beginning. You know, that was the beginning of the end. That was true. the beginning of the end. That's true. And that's and shouts out to Dame, man. Dame is a good businessman. Dame, everybody needs to get show Dame some love because. <laughs> Dame definitely is responsible for a lot of trends and a lot of stuff that we do in hip hop now. The pop, right. the spraying champagne. The, it's a lot of stuff that Dame is responsible for that was the liquor advertisement, the bottle service popping, all the like. I mean, it's a lot of stuff that Dame been responsible for. And I just won't Dame. They had Armadale. They had Armadale. They had they had the vodka first. I was a big Come drinker, on. Armadale. I was a big drinker. I got it one more. I, I got one more for you before we get up out of here. Lauren Hill or Erica Badu? Erica. Erica Badu. Does Lauren Hill not writing them songs take away from her credibility as an artist? To a certain extent, yeah. You think so? To a certain extent. Now, but her, but you can't take away her delivery. Can't take away her delivery. Can't take her delivery. That Miseducation was a hell of an album. Whoever wrote it was that. It was a hell of an album. But the thing about Lauren Hill and and I don't know. As an artist, sometimes people that are artists. They have to be around good people that help them, push them to keep working and doing, true. you know? And it's like she didn't have that. That's so true. So her artistry kind of got lost in the in, in the waves of her personal life. And then Ola was talking about how she kept having kids with that man. And so then from there it became, you know, you're not showing up to concerts. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Do you think and after I, all that stuff, do you think she has solidified herself as one of the greats? I, I will say, yeah, for women in hip hop, yeah. She she laid the blueprint for her, for Ella May, for SZA. It wouldn't be none of that. SZA. It wouldn't be none of that going on. There would be on. none of these people if it wasn't for Lauren. And we, uh, you have to give credit where credit is due. So without that, without that album, there wouldn't be all these other people. See, and that's how I feel too. And I was just wondering because I heard people saying like. You know, her not writing those songs or somebody saying they helped her write on there, did that take away from her credibility as an artist? And I was like, I don't think so either. So before we get up out of here, I got one more thing that we do. It's called Three and Out. 
It's where you give listeners one book, one movie, and one album or track. That's from your personal suggestion library. Okay. Okay, so book-wise, there's a book that I would like to read, that I'm going to read, is the the bio of Jennifer... What is that woman's name? Hold on. Let me get my life together. Lewis. Okay. There we go. Jennifer Lewis. Jennifer Lewis. And the reason why is because I've seen her interview. I've seen her do two interviews at the Bre- on The Breakfast Club about her book. Um, I think it's important for black women to read it because she talks about her life from her, you know, starting in show business and the things that she's dealt with from substance abuse to abusive relationships to getting out of those to being the woman that she is today. I feel like when you when you even when you watch her act on blackish and things like that, she is everybody's auntie. That is Jennifer Lewis is an auntie for everybody. And so you want to see what's going on with that. And then the other book would be Becoming by Michelle Obama. I think that this woman is regal. She will always be my first lady. And I am definitely going to be reading that book within the next couple of weeks. So, okay. So one movie and one song or album movie. I would like to see Creed two. I've seen, I've read everything about it. I think I'm going to go see it this weekend. Creed two for sure. Creed two. And one track or album that you would suggest people go listen to. Oh man, that's hard. Okay. There's a song by Kadaya or Katrata, I think, featuring Ty Dolla Sign, Nothing Like You. Have you have you heard of him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what song you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That song goes. I like that song. I play it all the time. Oh. Yes, <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Holly, for being a guest on the show today. Tell everybody where they can reach you at. Um, you can reach me or you can follow me on Instagram at Holly0207 on Instagram, Holly Hawkins uh, on Facebook. Uh, the, the Blue Magic Podcast is on Instagram as well. And it's on Facebook, a Facebook page. We also have a Twitter page, the Blue Magic Podcast. And that's it. And before we get out of here, I want to say thank you, Holly. Uh, I've been knowing Holly for a lot of years. I want to say um, I'd like to thank Holly for offering a lot of insight to my life. Holly has been one of my personal friends for a very long time. And she, when I first met her, she brought a lot of organization and future thinking into my life. And I want to thank you for being a part of the process of getting us here. You're welcome. It's a Sunday morning with a cup of Joe. And that was this episode, everybody. We out.